everyone, Siobhan Chapman here, and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's Friday morning, which means it's time for the weekend review and preview conversation, where my guests will recap how markets have performed over the past few sessions and preview what you can expect in the week ahead. Today's conversation primarily focuses on the October employment report and the Fed's November policy meeting decision. Joining us for the conversation, I'm glad to welcome back Matthew Tormey, Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Matt, welcome. We're happy to have you. Good morning, Siobhan, and thanks for having me. Of course. So let's get started. Let's begin with the October employment report. Can you recap the notable data points and how the report came in relative to CIO's expectations? Yeah. So fresh off the press this morning, we did get the October jobs report, which did come in a bit lighter than expectations. So um, just to break down the important numbers quickly, uh, non-farm payroll growth was cooler, coming in at positive 150,000 versus consensus expectations of positive 180,000. And what's also notable is that job gains over the past two months were revised lower by about 101,000 jobs. And the impact of the auto strikes knocked off about 33,000 from payrolls. So uh, if we do add those back in, non-farm payrolls in October would have come in essentially in line with consensus expectations. Uh, the unemployment rate was 3.9% versus 3.8% in the prior reading, which uh, was also what consensus was expecting. Uh, the labor force participation rate did fall uh, to 62.7%, which is the first decline in this metric since October 2022. Uh, the gain in average hourly earnings also slowed, so uh, this was a good sign from the Fed's perspective. And if we dig into the details a bit, there were some pretty narrow payroll gains this month with job gains occurring in the healthcare, government, and uh, social assistance industries. Now, the October jobs report with the latest data point of a flurry of labor market data we got this week. So just quickly recapping those as well. Uh, on Tuesday, we did receive the third quarter employment cost index reading, which does measure the quarterly changes in compensation costs and is a very important measure for the Fed. And this reading did come in a bit hotter than expected from both a quarterly and a year-over-year perspective. Uh, on Wednesday, the September JOLTS job opening survey did surprise to the upside, which just provides further, further evidence that the labor market does remain tight. Uh, additionally, we did receive the October ADP employment survey, which did come in at 113,000, so higher than the prior reading, but did disappoint relative to consensus. And yesterday, weekly initial and continuing jobless claims came in above expectations, but both still remain near low levels. So bottom line, this week, uh, we did receive further evidence that the labor market's still in decent shape. And given this backdrop and still fine consumer spending, uh, we do continue to expect a soft landing for the U.S. economy as the most likely outcome. So, Matt, now we've also heard from the Fed this week with their November policy meeting decision. What are the key takeaways from the statement and the press conference which followed? Right. So the November FOMC meeting was the highlight of the week. And overall, there weren't many surprises. Uh, The overall tone of the meeting was more balanced. And as expected, the Fed did keep rates on hold for a second consecutive policy meeting. So um, starting with the statement, a few small changes with the opening language stating that growth expanded at a strong pace in the third quarter, uh, which is a nod to the recent GDP data showing that the U.S. economy grew by an annualized 4.9% pace in the quarter. And the other relevant change did come from the introduction of financial conditions to the tighter conditions for households and businesses that 
are likely to weigh on economic activity, hiring, and inflation, which does acknowledge recent comments from FOMC participants that does suggest the rise in yields we've been seeing could substitute for further policy tightening. Now, turning our attention to the press conference, in our view, there were a couple key takeaways. First, Fed Chair Powell stressed that the Fed is not yet ready to declare victory on inflation, and he made it clear that the process has a long way to go to get inflation sustainably down to 2%, and the committee is proceeding carefully. Additionally, he did note that the committee will decide meeting by meeting the extent of additional policy firming and how long policy will remain restrictive based on the totality of incoming data, the evolving outlook, and the balance of risks. Uh, Second, policymakers are going to continue to remain data dependent, and Powell did acknowledge that inflation pressures have been moderating as supply chain disruptions cleared and wage growth appeared to be slowing. However, he did add that it was likely we will need to see some slower growth and softening in labor market conditions. And third, Fed Chair Powell did distance himself a bit from the September dot plot, which did show one more rate hike by the end of the year. And it's clear the market interpreted this quite dovishly as a sign that the Fed could be done hiking. And this was a catalyst for the downward move in yields and rise in equities that we've been seeing. So to summarize, it's our view that the Fed is likely done tightening and markets have become too aggressive in pricing higher rates for longer. And in response from the Fed meeting, We did see the 10-year Treasury yield fall by 20 basis points on Wednesday, and the market sees about a 20% probability of a hike at the December meeting, with the first cut being expected around the middle of next year. Thank you so much for that update, Matt. So I want to reference a conversation that we had several weeks ago when you came on to share your expectations for the quarter three reporting season. Now that we have the bulk of the reporting behind us, how would you characterize the quarter three reporting season, and what are some takeaways that you can share with us? Of course. So we are now more than 75% of the way through the third quarter earnings season, and we've been describing the results so far as fine. About 75% of companies are beating earnings per share estimates, which is a touch higher than historical averages, and a little less than 60% are beating sales estimates, which is a bit lower than its historical average. Uh, In aggregate, earnings are beating by more than 5%, and corporate profits are on track to grow by around 4%, which is at the upper end of the range of our initial expectations. On guidance for the fourth quarter, the consensus earnings per share estimate is being revised lower, but not in a worrisome manner because it isn't deviating from the historical pattern. But also, it is important to note that some of this decline is due to somewhat non-recurring items such as lower COVID vaccine sales and lower production at the automakers due to the strike. Now, moving away from the numbers and focusing on the key takeaways, it's clear to us now that the earnings recession will, in fact, be over as earnings are set to grow for the first time in three quarters. And two key reasons why are that the earnings growth from the magnificent seven companies have been supportive after declining in every quarter in 2022 as an aggregate group. And if we look at the makeup of the S&P 500 index, unlike GDP, it's more skewed towards goods rather than services. And we think that we're at the or near the end of the good slowdown uh, that really came to fruition last year. Uh, if we take a look at what's been what we've been hearing on consumer spending, it still appears fine. The message from the credit card companies is that spending has been at a pretty consistent growth rate since March, and we think it would should remain well supported given the generally healthy labor market. Now we may see some slowdown at the margin given uh, higher gas prices and the resumption of student loan repayments, but 
overall, what we've been hearing from companies and seeing in the data doesn't make us worried for the time being. Uh, in tech hardware, it's been mostly good news as we continue to see signs that PC and smartphone end markets are bottoming. But a little bit more on the disappointing side, there were segments this quarter that we had hoped would start to improve after being pretty weak. But ultimately, this ended up being more mixed, such as capital markets activity, which is still pretty muted. So overall, the third quarter results have been fine so far, and we continue to expect about 3 to 4% earnings per share growth for the quarter. So as we come to the end of our conversation, Matt, I want to turn to next week. What will be taking place that investors should be mindful of? Yeah, so after what was a very busy week on both the economic and earnings calendar, uh, next week may come as a bit of a reprieve for investors. Uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week, New York Fed President John Williams is set to give some remarks at two separate speaking engagements that uh, we're going to be keeping an eye on. Uh, turning to Thursday, as usual, the weekly initial and continuing jobless claims numbers will be released, which have been ticking up slightly in recent weeks, but both indicators remain at low levels. Uh, additionally, the October NFIB Small Business Survey will provide some useful insights into small business trends across the country. And on Friday, we'll receive a preliminary November reading for the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey, which is expected to come in pretty much in line with the prior month, but we'll be interested to see if there's any change in the outlook for longer-term inflation expectations. And if we look at the earnings calendar for next week, we're only going to get about 6% of the S&P 500 market cap to report, but there are still plenty of important companies to keep an eye on across a range of industries. Uh, so this includes companies like Disney, Emerson, and Biogen. And as we start to transition into the later stages of the earnings season, which is typically dominated by the major retailers, uh, we will get a bit of a warm-up next week as we will hear from uh, Ralph Lauren and Tapestry. Okay, perfect. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Siobhan, and have a great weekend, everyone. Have a great weekend, Matt. Again, we have been joined by Matthew Tormey, Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our listeners, Top of the Morning is a part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as UBS training video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Siobhan Chapman, and thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.